The views expressed herein reflect the views of the Whistler Agency as of the date of publication. These views may change as conditions change. The views expressed herein are not intended and should not be construed as investment advice, and they do not address any individual's specific situation. Welcome to Whistler While You Retire with Tim Whistler from the Whistler Agency. Here you will learn how Tim helps clients avoid taking unnecessary risks in retirement. With a fiduciary responsibility, Tim's mission is to help retirees and soon-to-be retirees create a greater sense of confidence about their retirement plan. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Whistler While You Retire podcast with Tim Whistler. This is the second of a two-part series on mistakes that can jeopardize the health of your retirement. I'm Patrice Sikora. Now, Tim, you reviewed five of the 10 mistakes on your list in the first installment of this series, and that would be episode 18. But would you review those quickly, and then we'll tackle the remaining five? Absolutely. So the, the first five that we covered, the first one was talking about the changes that came about from the SECURE Act of 2019. Then we talked about the ramifications of what happens when we miss taking a required minimum distribution. That's a very expensive mistake. Mm -hmm. The third one we talked about is the importance of, you know, just kind of doing a beneficiary review, just making sure that the funds we want to leave behind are truly going to go to the people that we want them, you know, to go to. But then we talked about, you know, not understanding the differences between an indirect rollover versus a direct rollover. And then finally, we talked about the element of, you know, having that battle between fear and greed and having too much risk in our portfolio. Yeah, yeah and we'll get into that a little bit more, I have a feeling. Yes, but let's, <laughs> let's tackle number six, okay. overpaying on fees and loads. Tell me yes. about that. So, you know, again, a lot of times, you know, that there's going to be situations where fees are, are kind of part of the whole equation. But there's also times, too, and we can somehow maybe tech try to possibly reduce and altogether eliminate some fees. So, so for example, I just always like to give uh, some type of mathematical, you know, illustration, if you will. So, for example, if we had a, a $200,000 IRA that was going to return 5% a year over 10 years. But if we had a 1.5% annual fee, you know, it still had some good growth in there. At the end of the 10 years, we'd have about $282,000, okay? Still mm -hmm. pretty good. Most people would be happy with that. But if you compare that to an account that has the same starting point, the same rate of return of 5% over 10 years, the ending balance is $43,000 more than the account that has the 1.5% annual fee. So again, what I try to encourage people to understand about this is just that, you know, if there's going to be fees involved, do we have to have a lot of our accounts, you know, exposed to a fee? You know, and you look at, for example, a 401k. Now, again, 401ks are the benefits that we receive while we're working, taking funds out of our paychecks to put away for the retirement years. Well, you know, inside of a 401k account, there are investment fees, there's plan administration fees, there's individual services fees. And in fact, smartasset.com reports that the average 401k has about 2.22% in fees. I didn't know that. Pretty, I didn't really realize that either until we started looking at the different details, all the different fees in there. And if you look at that over the course of the of the average worker's lifetime, it's it, it can total up to somewhere in the hundred thirty eight thousand dollar range. I mean, it's wow, a ton of money over time. So you know, if if we again, if we have to pay those types of fees to build up the four hundred one k, you know, maybe we then we need to explore other options where we can maybe reduce or possibly eliminate fees altogether in other type of retirement asset accounts. 
What's the difference between a fee and a load? So a fee is kind of like an ongoing type of expense, you know, like, like you're going to pay for the advisor fee or the administration fees. Variable annuities have what they call mortality and expense fees inside of there. So a load is like, for example, if we're going to pay, if we're going to buy into, for example, a class A share. Okay. Different classes determine, do we pay a load? Do we pay a, it's almost like a, it's, it's like an expense. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a fee. It's more of an expense. So like, for example, if you have a no loaded fund or you have a front loaded fund, those different types of things, they just all determine what type of expense you would encounter when you invest into that type of product. Is that a one-time thing? Sometimes they can be, you know, a lot of times we have to kind of look into the details of that. Those are pretty, you know, pretty popular amongst the mutual fund world that we look at. You know, you hear of no load funds, yeah. uh, front end loaded funds, back end loaded funds. So, you know, there's so many variables in there. I just really encourage people to, you know, if we start kind of getting into those weeds, really looking into, you know, how are these, you know, funds set up with fees and expenses and, and what's the ultimate cost going to be for us as the investor. Okay. Your next one, number seven, not knowing how to convert funds into tax-free income. Now, this sounds like it could be pretty important. This one can be extremely important. In fact, the, the recent webinar series that I've been hosting here over the past couple of weeks, there is a, a brief survey that is sent out to the people who register for the webinar. And they have, a, they have an option of like, they have a choice between four or five different options as far as what they hope to learn from the class. And the number one, I took a tally of the, of the webinar, the most recent one that I did, the number one response was, learning how to reduce my taxes from my retirement income. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is such a, this is becoming more and more of a hot topic on the mind of the investor and and rightfully show, you know, it really should be. You know, when you look at what the government is doing and, and they're just spending all the stimulus money like they have it, you know, ultimately that that IRS bill is just going to become larger and larger and and it's really going to impact us when it comes to, you know, taking funds out. So so yes, you're to your point Patrice, this is something that really needs to be at the top of our plan at the, at the at the top of the list of our plan because what are we usually doing when we are funding a 401k it, it's we're putting funds into this thing pre-tax right we're, we're, right. we're just deferring taxes and kicking that tax bill down the road well you know from the first day that you contributed to your retirement plan the irs became your partner Oh, yes. <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it, but yes. <laughs> yep. Like it or not, they're, they're going to sit right there at the table with you. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you look at going into retirement, you know, with the SECURE Act, we talked about that on the last episode where they changed the required minimum distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about present day. Now we're into retirement. And now we're having family get together because we're going to turn 72. Well, as we know, this is when your IRA becomes an IOU to the IRS. <laughs> it's, I can't even say it sometimes. You know, it, it, it's, it's, this is when the tax bill is due. If we're not already taking funds out, this is when we have to begin taking distributions out because this entire account for this, since the life that we started, this, this asset, since we started building the wealth in this, this asset, you know, has all been tax deferred. So what we're talking about here with this mistake is, is we need to understand that a Roth IRA conversion may be a very good solution because the process works very seamlessly. It's a very simple process. There's some details that we want to explore. And a lot of times I encourage my clients that, hey, if you're working with a CPA, let's get the CPA involved as well because their expertise is in tax liability. Mm -hmm. 
They they are there to help our clients manage the taxes on a micro level, right? Today, what's our taxes for this year? What's our taxes going to be next year? Right. I like to complement that view with looking at the tax liability in the macro view, the big picture. What are we looking at if we continue down the same path that we're doing today? What are we looking at in taxes in five, 10 years? Well, that's really hard to do because we don't know what tax rates are going to be like in five, right. 10, 15 years. So when it comes to talking about a Roth IRA conversion, it's, it's this process where what we're going to do is we're going to pay income tax on the IRA when you convert. So let's say, for example, you know, Mary's got an IRA account that's worth $250,000. And let's say she's 67 years of age, right? She's still years away from having to take funds out of the account. Well, what I would do in that case with Mary is we look at, number one, we look at income. What is her need for income? Where is she at with her expenses? What other sources of income does she have? And, and what is the current tax liability that she's paying maybe from Social Security, her pension, et cetera? So we look at that saying, okay, if we wanted to begin taking some funds from that IRA account, would we want to do this over a period of five years, 10 years, whatever the case may be. The point is of Mary's $250,000 account, if we say, hey, let's go ahead and convert one-tenth of that. Let's take out 25 grand. What happens is Mary would pay the taxes on that $25,000 on an, a current income tax basis. Okay. Okay. So when she has that, now she can take those net proceeds and put them into a Roth IRA account. And the beautiful thing about having a Roth IRA account is, is there's, there's multiple benefits from it. Number one, Roth IRA owners are not forced to take distributions. Oh, now that's key. It is. Absolutely. Because, you know, when we talk, we would talk to somebody who's 72 years of age. In my, in my opinion, that person is still very young in the big picture of retirement. They could still be looking at another 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Mm -hmm. if, if we need to start taking some money later on down the road when tax rates could be higher, would it not behoove us maybe to have an, an account where we're not forced to take distributions? And a second benefit is when we ever, whenever we want to take money out of the account, any distributions and gains come out income tax free. So of course, you know, there's a couple of different, different situations involved with the Roth IRA that we have to be aware of. Number one is, you know, that the fund has to be at least, you know, open for at least five years before we can take out distributions and gains tax free. But what I try to encourage people to understand is that a small tax bite today can save a fortune in taxes tomorrow. All right. Now, if you know you have to wait five years before you can open the or you can start withdrawing from the account, that's that's fine. Is there ever a time when you cannot do a conversion? The, you know, I, I don't I, you know, that's a great question. I don't know that I've ever explored that thought. From my knowledge, I don't believe that there is, Patrice, because I believe okay. that the Pension Protection Act, I believe of 2020. 10, I think, don't quote me on that timeline, but I believe somewhere around that time frame when that act was passed, it basically allowed people who have an IRA account the opportunity to convert funds into a Roth IRA. Okay. So I, I, I believe thinking, that's there. Yeah. I was just thinking maybe if you're, you know, 95 and you think you do still have five more years, you might <laughs> want to do it. And right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, it, when it comes to the big picture, there, there are clients that I have that I work with right now where you know it's not really a feasible situation for them because maybe they need a lot of the income already being drawn from the taxable account. So the IRS simply just has a, a spot there at the table, but in the big picture, the funds that they are receiving are providing the means that they need to provide for the retirement lifestyle. You okay. know, so so every case is a little bit different, but it's you know it's certainly one that I explore whenever I'm looking at somebody's overall portfolio. When I sit down with a client. 
And they're tra being transparent with me saying, okay, here's the investmental, the investable assets that we have, the funds that we have in the bank, here's our income, here's our expenses, here's any liabilities that we have, and so on. You know, I'm looking at, you know, for obviously some, some areas in, in which we could possibly improve that situation. And it really boils down to if we have sizable IRA accounts sitting off to the side, you know, the tax deferred accounts. And if a lot of those accounts are not currently being used for income, man, we got to put that tax liability at the top of that priority list as soon as we can. Yeah. Okay. Number eight, you've got your 401k or you've got your 403b and you just leave it sit there. Mm -hmm. You retired, leaving it sit there. You don't move to an IRA at all. Why is that so bad? Well, you know, there are, there are certain situations where it does make sense to move it over. So, you know, I like to go back and, and think back, you know, why did we first participate in that 401k or 43B plan or, or the TSP plan? Well, the number one reason is simply for the fact that a lot of times those companies that we work for, they will provide some type of matching fund right? They'll, they'll provide some type of, if we put an X amount of percentage into the 401k, they'll match up to a certain amount. So it's basically free money, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when we leave there and we no longer work for ABC company, when our contributions stop, what happens to their free money? It also stops, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's that time. It's, you know, that might be the time for us to get the money out of the plan because it, when, it, when, it, when you think about this, so it boils down to two options. If we can leave the money in the plan or we can roll it to an IRA. So here's what we have to think about. If we decide to leave the money in the plan, the plan guidelines can restrict access to your money. There, there are certain limitations that are set in stone from the 401k administrator, including investment options, right? We, don't, we only have a limited menu of options that we can choose from on how we wanna invest the funds in that 401k, okay? Mm -hmm. With that being said, there's also limited distribution flexibility. Right? So we don't have full flexibility if we want to leave it to you know, kids, grandkids, or whatever. There's limited flexibility in there. Most of these plans will not offer a Roth conversion. And for some people, as we get a little bit older in age and we start getting closer to or into retirement, the element of market risk comes into play. We all remember what happened with 401ks back in 2008 when they were so lovingly being referred to as 201ks. Right, we remember that with that time frame. So the element of market risk is still there, and don't forget, we just talked about this before. You still have the element of a fees and loads that all still, you know, abide inside that four hundred one k world. So the option then might be for us to look at doing a rollover. You know, rolling the four hundred one k into an IRA. Now, again, as we talked earlier in the previous episode, this is where we really wanted to explore the direct rollover. Right. Mm -hmm. This exactly. is this is the one. This is the one that avoids the 20% mandatory withholding. This is the one that allows your money to continue to go grow tax deferred. So we're just basically doing an entity to entity transfer. Therefore, it's not, not an IRS event. And it allows the owner to now control where their money is invested. You know, it, as, as long as the funds maintain the integrity of the tax status of being tax deferred, that IRA can sit in a multitude of vehicles. Some people, you know, they, they might love the, what I call the certificates of depreciation, you know, used to be CDs, right? <laughs> I mean, if they, if, if, if they want to make 0.85%, but know the money is there and it's safe, great. You know, put your IRA in a CD. If you, if you do want to have funds inside of, inside of a managed portfolio in the stock market, it'll still be an IRA. It'll, it'll reside inside of different investments that, that match your risk tolerance. If we want to look at something that provides protection to your principal, but yet provides opportunity for growth. 
you know, we can still look at that vehicle. The whole point of it is it's going to be an IRA at the end of the day, but once those funds are in the IRA, what can we now begin to explore? We just talked about the Roth conversion, you know, and you can also possibly eliminate or even reduce your, your fees and loads. So it, it, that's just my take on the thing. I mean, obviously some people, I, I'm still encountering, you know, conversations with folks today where they've been at ABC company where they've been now for 12 years and they still have a 401k from XYZ company that they left, you know, 12 years ago. And, and that's fine. It's just a matter of, I think, helping people understand that, hey, when it's sitting there at an old 401k and you're no longer employed there, may not be a bad thing to explore rolling it. And as we mentioned in the earlier podcast too, that direct option that you just mentioned, it's so easy. So simple. It's just paperwork. You know, once we have the conversation to say, hey, this is where this 401k should end up sitting. Now it's just a matter of filling out paperwork and having the funds being directly transferred from one entity to the other entity. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, can you have too many retirement accounts? (laughs) <laughs> you know, you, you really can, you know, and, and this is kind of what we call a retirement mess, because if you think about the list that we're going through and, and the easy mistakes that can be made just on one account, do we really want to compound the problem by having multiple mistakes over a multitude of, of accounts? So I, I just try to encourage people, you know, when we sit down, it's okay if there's a few IRA accounts, because again, what the way I look at things, Patrice, when I'm sitting down with clients is I want my clients' accounts to have purpose. You know, Mm -hmm. these funds here are for emergencies only. This IRA over here is in case we need liquidity. This IRA over here is completely protected from market volatility, et cetera. So, you know, as long as each account has purpose, that's totally fine. But, But a lot of times, you know, until we sit down with a specialist and we review the inventory of what we have, we discuss where we'd like to go. A lot of times we do have kind of, you know, a hodgepodge of retirement accounts out there. So that's usually a good time to sit down come up with a game plan and, and start the, the process of consolidating into a fewer and fewer IRA accounts. Which raises the question, is one not enough? In my opinion, it's, it's, you could have a couple of them. Because again, if, if when we've got you know, the element of trying to achieve a certain status, you know, we've talked about this before. When, when you look at any type of investment account, they are usually made up of two of three characteristics, safety, growth, and liquidity. Mm-hmm. Now, if I could somehow, you know, engineer the ideal asset that has all three, you know, I, th- I think we'd be doing pretty good, but I don't, haven't found that one yet. I haven't found one that provides elements of all three. A lot of times we might be able to have some growth and liquidity, but we sacrifice safety right. and we might have safety and growth, but maybe we give up a little bit of liquidity. So I think again, in the big picture, there needs to have a purpose for each account that says, okay, this IRA account right here is designed for X. This IRA account is designed for Y. This Roth IRA account is, is designed to do this, et cetera. So, you know, I don't have a problem with there being a couple of them, maybe three of them, maybe something like that. But but certainly we want to make sure that that each of the account defines a purpose in the overall plan. I think that's a very smart way to go about it because you can forget but you've got this retirement account over here or over there or over there. You're exactly right. And then what did we talk about earlier? What, what happens when we forget an RMD, you know, taking the redistribution out? So, so again, if we have too many out there, sometimes it becomes a little bit more of a, of a cumbersome issue to manage those accounts. Now, your number 10 here, I find rather interesting. <laughs> Not getting a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Why would you need a second opinion if you have a financial advisor you trust? 
And you know, that's exactly right. And, and a lot of times the question that I ask people is, do you have enough confidence in your current advisor to get a second opinion? Mm-hmm. And, and here, here's the way I position this. I've always tried to really come across from the standpoint of my position as a professional is not to sever relationships whatsoever. My position is simply try to help people avoid taking unnecessary risks. So the, the, how I like to position this is think of ourselves in the world of healthcare. Okay, we, we have a family practitioner. Every family goes to a family doctor, right? You go every six months, you go every year, you go just when you're sick. But, you know, when you go visit Dr. Jones, right? Not to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, but that's the name that came to mind, right? Dr. Jones, right? You, you go see Dr. Jones and you go in there and you see him and he, what's it, what, what is, you know, what do the him and his nurses do? They take your blood pressure, they listen to your heart. You know, what if you're there in his office and Dr. Jones is listening to your heart and all of a sudden he says, you know what, Patrice, I don't like what I'm hearing here. I think you have a heart problem. So as you're leaving, I want you to talk to Nurse Betty out there, come in next Tuesday at seven o'clock in the morning and we're gonna, I'm, I'm gonna perform open heart surgery. Well, obviously that's not gonna happen, right? We know no. that, that a family no. practitioner is not gonna do that, right? What is he gonna do? He's gonna refer you to a cardiologist, a specialist. Mm-hmm. He's gonna say to you, Patrice, you know, I don't like what I'm hearing here with your heart. So I'm going to refer you to Dr. Bruce, whatever the case is. And you're going to go see Dr. Bruce because he's a cardiologist and he's going to, he's going to exercise his training, his skill, his experience to make sure there is nothing wrong with your heart. So for as broken as our healthcare system is, at least we have the referral system. Okay. Well, let's talk about our wealth care. We've talked about this before, that the two phases in our financial life, the accumulation phase in the distribution phase, okay? We might be working with an advisor during the accumulation phase that really is designed to help us build and accumulate wealth, okay? Mm -hmm. Now we come to that mountaintop. Now we've reached the end of the journey of the working years. Now we wanna go into retirement and now we're gonna transition into the distribution years, okay? The, The problem that I see all too often is that many times people who continue to stay in the same vehicle that they use to build the wealth in distribution will get them into far more dangerous situations than if they sit down with a professional who has the training, the skill, and the experience to help people safely navigate the distribution phase of retirement. How do you find that person? Well, I think what we need to talk about, what we need to look for, and and I've had some, some really wonderful feedback from some folks in my time as, as a professional in this, in this, you know, specialized in this area, people that have uh, literally just had, had a phone, had a phone conversation and then a face-to-face meeting with these folks uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it was really kind of interesting story because they both drive about, I don't know, 15, 20 miles to their places of business. And mm-hmm. they were, they were, they've been talking there in their late fifties. They've been kind of talking about, Hey, you know, are, are we getting kind of close to retirement? Do we think we can do it? But you know, who do we call now? I'm sharing this exactly the way they shared it with me. And they had said, you know, we had heard your radio ads here in the area for quite some time. We thought that you were kind of speaking our language, but we weren't sure. So we went on your website. We kind of looked a little bit more, you know, at your, at, at what you've shared with us, the case studies you've shared, some of the little nuggets of information that you've encouraged people to consider. And that's why we called you because we did not know you until we heard about you. And then we understood your credibility when it comes to speaking about how can we take assets and convert them to income. So that's just really what I try to encourage people to do is you, you need to understand in the wealth care business, we need to understand the specialist who is you know, trained, who has his earned designations that, you know, 
mm-hmm. accelerates training that says, look, now you have a sizable amount of assets. Some of it's tax deferred, some of it's tax free, some of some of it is taxable, whatever the case may be. As you transition now into retirement, if we're no longer going to earn a paycheck, but we need to have income that's going to complement a social security benefit, maybe a pension benefit. And then we're going to try to mitigate all the different challenges that come in retirement. We we surely will do ourselves a favor by making sure that the professional that we're working with understands the distribution phase of retirement, because that's the critical part of having a successful and ideal retirement lifestyle. Well, that wrapped that up very, very nicely, Tim. But I see here in my notes, wait a minute, you're talking about a bonus mistake. Yeah, We've just been more <laughs> overpaying on fees, not knowing how to convert funds into tax-free income not moving your 401k or 403b to an IRA, having too many retirement accounts, not getting a second opinion, and now there's a bonus mistake. Give me a break here. <laughs> a bonus mistake, yes. Not not trying to make it you know, sound like we're really you know, claiming that the sky is falling because that's not the case. But another mistake that I see far too many people make is continuing to chase high returns in retirement. Going for that, you know, that that whole battle between fear and greed. We don't want to be too frightened of some things, but at the same time, we need to manage it. So the best way to explain this in the next couple of minutes is if we look back at the previous 20 years of the S&P, right, from the year 2000 through 2019, mm-hmm. it had five very bad years. But if we averaged all 20 years, the average performance was about 5.6% per year, Okay. But the problem of this is, Patrice, is that when, when people chase yields, risk becomes mispriced. Here's what I mean by that, okay? Averages are very deceiving unless you know the whole story behind that. So for example, let's say there's a husband and wife who runs an average of 10 miles a week. Mm-hmm. But if you know the whole story, you know that she runs 20 and he doesn't run any, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's not a lie that the numbers are there, right? Their yes. average is 10. It's the same thing when it comes to Wall Street and looking at what how the information is being presented to us. If we're averaging 5.6%, and let's say, for example, we're going to utilize the withdrawal method that was created decades ago called the 4% rule, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying this is the right thing to do because I call this if-come, not income, but if-come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, yeah. if, if we're averaging 5.6% a year from an account and we're only withdrawing four, then by simple math, should we not have more money in this account 20 years later than what we started? We but. but you bring in the area of volatility, and here's the whole point of this mistake. Volatility will kill income. We have to understand that, again, the vehicles we use to build wealth and get an ROI of return on investment may not be the ideal vehicle we want to sit in during the distribution phase of retirement because, again, what is retirement all about? It's not about assets. It's all about income. So we just want to be very careful that we we manage that element of greed because we need to think about what's more important. Should we eliminate volatility or should we chase high returns? Can you be too safe, though? In your your investments, you know you can. There's there's the when I kind of look at people's investments, I look at it through the lens of you know are they overexposed, or are they sitting in something that's underperforming. So yeah, I mean we we certainly could be we could be too safe. For example, you know when I talk to somebody that's sitting in the CD, there is no way in the world that CD owner has anything to do. They want nothing to do with the stock market. That's why they're in a CD. 
right? So my conversation with a CD owner would be a little bit different than somebody who's owns, who owns shares of stock in, in Google and, and Apple, et cetera. So they want that element of safety. So whenever we have funds that are sitting in something that might be what I call underperforming, could we not maybe look at a different product that gives them the element of more growth potential, but yet not take away the element of safety? Okay. Because of the CD right now, you're not getting much of anything. Not much at all. No, according to the most recent figures that I saw on bankrate.com, the the biggest payout on a five-year CD was 1.05%. So, you know, that might be something out there that's paying 1.2. So no, nobody can really catch me on a technicality, but in the big <laughs> picture, it's not paying much. You're exactly right. <laughs> okay, Tim, we've gone through your 10 mistakes here. This is episode 19 and episode 18, the one just before this. We, got, we have covered all 10 of them, plus the bonus mistake. But if listeners have questions for you, how can they reach you? They can reach me a couple different ways, through email or through the phone. And I always, always encourage people, you know, go to the website. So if they want to go to the website, you know, check out the elements of other conversations we've had, other podcast episodes. They can also learn about some other elements of specialties that we, that we talk about in a, in a financial plan. They can go to the whistleragency.com. They can call me at 309-291-0491, and they can shoot me an email at tim at thewhistleragency.com, and there is no T in Whistler. I was just going to say that you're reading my mind. <laughs> well, there you have it. Ten mistakes wrapped up in two episodes of Whistler While You Retire. Make sure to listen. You can also subscribe to get notified of new episodes. And, of course, share with your family and friends using the buttons on this page. One other thing, don't forget to comment. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Whistler While You Retire. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Whistler Agency. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment advisory and financial planning services offered through Simplicity Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance, consulting, and education services offered through the Whistler Agency. The Whistler Agency is a separate and unaffiliated entity from Simplicity Wealth LLC.